Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Your guide to protecting your personal health. Bringing you simplified answers to the complex questions surrounding healthcare. Everything from cancer to liver transplants. Nutrition. Exercise. My yoga and Pilates instructor, Dana Goodale. Mental health and even pet care. Dr. Wayne Hunthausen, Westwood Animal Hospital. Empowering you to take control of your health and wellness. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy. Just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. And now, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. Our producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. 202 affiliates strong. Thanks to all of you out there. In the listening audience, we greatly appreciate you. If you want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you can do that at America's Healthcare Advocate. That's America's Healthcare Advocate for Instagram and Facebook. We post a lot of stuff up there. Uh, there are videos up there. There's information up there. There's actually a, a video up there for a couple of weeks ago of us driving a Ferrari So with a friend of mine, Ron Rawls. So there's a lot of interesting things we post on that website if you want to go up there. And there's a lot of information up there. Um, as well on the Facebook page and also on the website, America's Healthcare Advocate. You can also send me an email from that website if you choose to, if you have a question, if I can help you. I've gotten some pretty interesting ones. I had a gentleman who was trying to take care of his father, uh, moving him into a nursing home facility, uh, assisted living facility, and there was a money issue and turned out he was a World War II vet, qualified for the VA um, long-term care program. So that kind of information is the kind of information we could disseminate. If you have a question on anything, uh, please feel free to send me an email. Also, all these shows are on the podcast platforms. Tune in, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. I know a lot of you are listening to them because I get text messages during the week from people saying, hey, I just listened to the show. So I know that uh, you're listening to them on the podcast, and that's why we put them up there. So that, that's the purpose of that. If you do have a need, for health insurance, if you've been laid off, furloughed, lost your job, whatever the case may be, Joyce Thompson can help you over at RPS BBDI, 877-385-2224, 877-385-2224. So look, if you're trying to debate between COBRA and short-term or COBRA and ACA individual insurance, or you know maybe you're chronologically challenged like me and you're looking at Medicare, uh, we've got a lot of people that are moving to Medicare now because they have been laid off and they qualify. So once again, give the lovely Joyce Thompson a call, um, 877-385-2224. Anywhere in the country, she's happy to help you. And um, that's what we're there for. That's what she's there for, as a matter of fact. This is our sixth show um, in the COVID-19 series that we've done. It's probably the last one we're going to do. We're very happy to have Dr. Michael Main from St. Luke's Healthcare System. Uh, he is the co-medical director of the St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute here, uh, one of the leading heart institutes in the country, um, and he is joining us today on the broadcast. Uh, St. Luke's Health System is, Doctor, are we looking, are we nine hospitals now or 11? I can never get this right. 
Well, it depends how many you count. Here in the metro area, we've got our four kind of flagship hospitals, St. Louis on the Plaza, then north, south, and east. And then we extend out 100 miles. We have a critical access hospital in Trenton, Missouri, Wright Memorial Medical Center. And actually, uh, there's going to be a new critical access hospital uh, soon as well. So this is a large healthcare system, folks. And, and yes, doctor is here in Kansas City, but this is a national broadcast because we are talking about COVID-19 today. And, and what I'm trying to do today, you'll notice over the last couple of weeks, I've skipped this topic. We've not talked about this. We've talked about a host of other things at different kinds of shows on. We had a show on with Joyce and Sue Denninger from RPSBBI that went into all your insurance options and what you should be looking at if you are one of those people, you know, that has an issue with that right now. But I thought it was time to circle back. So I reached out to uh, Laurel Gifford over at St. Luke's Healthcare System, and she was able to connect me with Dr. Maine. And so today we're going to go back and we're going to talk about, you know, that things have changed. They changed dramatically. Uh, my wife and I went out to dinner Sunday. <laughs> that was a whole new experience. I flew to Dallas, Texas the week before last, okay? Um, and, and, and so there are a lot of changes going on around the country. Um, and, and, and so, you know, different places for different kinds of protocols. Um, and, and different states have different things that they're requiring for you to do. But we're going to talk about common sense stuff today. So, Dr. Main, let's go back a little bit and just talk about where we're at now. Let's start there, and then and then we'll go through uh, some of the different protocols and things that we have to, we should be continuing to pay attention to. Well, you know, it all kind of began about two months ago as we were prepared for this surge of COVID nineteen cases. Of course. Uh, our hospitals and hospitals around the country uh, put a lot of preparation. We deferred elective cases, uh, non-urgent cases. We uh, spun up additional ICU beds and really took stock of our personal protective equipment and made, made sure we had adequate stores of that. We scaled up COVID-19 testing. And what's really developed over the past two months, uh, as we've seen across the country, you really can't measure this on a national basis or even a statewide basis. Each locality has had a different experience. And here in Kansas City, we've been extremely fortunate. As we all know, there was early action on the part of uh, Mayor Lucas and other civic leaders, the stay-at-home order that went into effect uh, in late March. And as a result of that, and as a result of the public adhering to the social distancing uh, recommendations, our disease burden of COVID-19 uh, here in the Kansas City metro area has remained manageable. So that's really where we are right now. Of course, yeah. uh, we're starting to reopen the community now. Yeah, we are. And, and I think a lot of credit goes to the ordinary, common, ordinary man, woman, uh, you know, it, 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 in, in the area that have adhered to. And I think this is nationally. I think, you know, we've heard a lot of people talk about that. You heard Dr. Bricks talk about it. You know, consistently, Dr. Fauci and other people that that and Vice President Prince talked about it a lot. The fact that it's up to the individuals to be responsible and do what they need to do. And I think overall, the country's done a pretty good job about that. What do you think, Doctor? I, I think you're exactly right. I think people have done their best really across uh, the country. We're fortunate here uh, that we've got relatively low population density. We don't have mass transit. We don't have a truly international airport with a lot of people arriving from overseas on a daily basis. And that's one thing or several things that have really uh, and it made the difference uh, between our experience and the experience that you'll see out on the East Coast, particularly in the New York City metro area. 
Uh, and, and, you're, and you're right. The public has, has done a great job. When you go out now, you go to the grocery store. Most people are wearing a face mask in public. They're taking care to maintain that social distancing. And, uh, you know, they're doing it to protect themselves, but I think even more importantly, to protect their their neighbors around the uh, around the city. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. You know, it's funny you mentioned the payback thing because it's become pretty controversial. I saw a piece this morning on a news app that said uh, uh, the, the Costco uh, had 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 forcibly, forcibly removed a woman. I don't know what state it was in. I missed it. But it's interesting to me because, you know, Costco here in Kansas City that, that I go to, um, supposedly you're supposed to wear a face mask, but I saw a lot of people going in that store without a face mask on, and there was no issue there. Um, another thing that I thought was fascinating was as I lined up for my Southwest Airlines flight, um, Southwest Airlines, you, you, the news on Southwest Airlines was you must wear a face mask, and I'm standing in line, I'm looking at these people, and about 30% of them didn't pass them or turn them away. Well, they didn't. <laughs> so I, it's a little confusing right now, doctor. You know, it seems like the common sense thing to do is wear the face mask, but there, there seems to be a lot of pushback on that right now. Well, I think there is. And I saw that video that you uh, referred to, the Costco incident, where the where the customer was removed for not wearing a, a face mask. And he was really kind of trying to make, I think, a political statement. And let's just be honest, this is not a political issue. Uh, there's plenty of data now confirming that wearing a face mask reduces the risk of viral transmission, particularly somebody who has to cough or sneeze. And it's something that everybody should do. I know that the airlines uh, are mandating it, but I've also read some guidance uh, that they put out internally to their air crews, and they're not going to remove people uh, from the flight if they don't wear a mask. So that's something simple that we all can do, and it literally is the least you can do to protect yourself and everybody else. Yeah, and you know, we had Dr. Larson on when we did our first show with Dr. Larson on COVID-19. He talked about one of the reasons he uh, thought it was a good idea to wear one was just to keep you from touching your face. I thought, you know what? If nothing else, that probably makes an awful lot of sense. So there you have it, folks. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to American Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. If we can help you um, and you are having an issue with health insurance, reminder again, you can reach Joyce Thompson at 877-385-2224. When we come back from the break, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Michael Main, co-medical director at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart System. And we're going to start talking about what we should continue to do and how important is this universal testing. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Doctor is in the house. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. I'm your host, Carrie Hall, broadcasting from my office today. Yes, we're out of the kitchen, and we've now moved to the office. But joining me again, Dr. Michael Main, co-medical director, St. Luke's Mid-America Heart. We're very happy to have him on board uh, with the St. Luke's Health System here in Kansas City. Again, as I said, um, we are broadcasting this coast to coast because uh, we want you to get this information, talk about some of these topics that are out there in the news, uh, some of the topics that you're hearing as it pertains to COVID-19. So we're going to jump in on one that I ran across this morning, and that was people are continuing to put off 
um, going to the hospitals to get procedures done they need to get done and also not going to the ER if they need to go. Um, we'll talk about virtual visits here in a few minutes. But I want to start with that topic, doctor. And I, I, you know, I think it'd be good if you could tell people the precautions that hospitals are taking, like St. Luke's Health System, to make it safe for people to go into hospitals. They don't need to be afraid. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, hospitals are safe uh, in terms of uh, the possibility of acquiring infection. They're probably safer now than they've ever been. And that's as a result of all the steps that we at St. Luke's and other hospitals around the country have taken. One of those that we've taken here at St. Luke's, which I think differentiates us from many other health systems, is this concept of universal inpatient testing. And that means that every patient upon admission to the hospital gets a COVID-19 test. So we know the status of everyone in respect with respect to their COVID-19 uh, uh, disease. Uh, as I think a lot of your listeners probably know, 50% of COVID-19 illness may be asymptomatic. And that's why it's important to test people. If we find out that somebody does have COVID-19, those patients are sequestered in separate areas of the hospital and the emergency department uh, from other patients who do not have COVID-19. And in fact, we have different airflow systems uh, in those separate areas of the hospital. So that's really important. Another thing that we've done is universal pre-procedural testing. So if you're scheduled, say, to have a coronary angiogram at St. Luke's, within 72 hours prior to that procedure, we will COVID-19 test you. We actually have three drive-through and one walk-through testing stations throughout the Kansas City metro area. So that can be easily accomplished. Another thing that we've done is temporarily not allowing any visitors with very rare exceptions into the hospital. Of course, just another measure to uh, ensure that we don't spread uh, coronavirus. Everybody who comes into the hospital, that includes all employees, anybody bringing a delivery to the hospital, they're all screened at the door for symptoms and they have their temperature taken. All of our staff and all the patients wear masks uh, all of the time. And then if you get into the outpatient setting, uh, something that we've just started as we've kind of reopened the clinics uh, to in-person visits. Patients are taken directly to the exam room. There's no waiting room, so we can maintain that social distancing. And of course, you know, all of our equipment, the furniture, everything uh, is sanitized between patients. So a very safe setting now for patients, both inpatient and in the ambulatory setting. You know, that, that, that is a lot. It's very interesting to hear you say that. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be happy they don't sit in the waiting room anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, yeah, but, but, but I know that, they, that they're testing because my wife had a procedure done the other day, and she was tested uh, when she went in to get the procedure done. So it's very interesting at that, that St. Luke's. So yeah, I would bet that probably the majority of the hospitals are doing exactly the same thing to make sure that they don't spread it or have it. The other thing that's interesting that you said, and I think this is important for the audience to understand this, that you know, hospitals that are doing this are then sequestered. If you do wind up having, if you test positive for this, you're sequestered in an area and, and, and I'm sure if there's further treatment necessary, doctor, or, or if you're just observing people for a period of time, that occurs without putting them in the general population of the hospital that is getting other kinds of care, correct? Well, that's exactly right. So those patients are maintained in uh, separate areas, as, as, as we mentioned, separate airflow systems, and there's limited traffic uh, into and out of those rooms. And, of course, the healthcare workers taking care of those patients use extra precautions for personal protective equipment, higher level masks, gowns, that type of thing to protect them and, and protect others in the hospital. You know, again, I think that what's important for people to understand here, if you needed to get a knee replacement or you needed to get a coronary treatment, whatever the case may be, and you put it off because of this issue, now's the time to go back. Would you agree, doctor, and get that treatment done? That's exactly right. And, and I think even more importantly than the elective procedures is the fact that over the past two months, there's now just a uh, growing body of literature suggesting that people have not been seeking care for acute medical illnesses, things like acute myocardial infarction or heart attack, 
Uh, Strobe is actually a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine this week looking at the experience in California, and there was a significant decline uh, in admissions for heart attacks coinciding with the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19. So that's been an unfortunate, unintended consequence of all this. We have a message at St. Louis to patients, and that is that heart attacks and strokes do not stop during a pandemic. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. So if you have these types of symptoms, you need to come to the hospital. And as you mentioned, yes, we've, we are reopened for elective and non-urgent procedures, things like echocardiography, nuclear stress testing, coronary angiography, electrophysiologic procedures. So patients who have been scheduled for these by their physician, now is the time to come back in and, and take care of that, not take chances uh, with their health. Yeah, it is because one of the byproducts, and it's not a good byproduct, is people not getting these treatments for these kinds of things. And then what winds up happening is they have bigger problems by virtue of the fact that they didn't treat it when they initially could have and probably, you know, had much, much less damage to their health if they had done it in a timely manner now that the hospitals are open again. Let's talk briefly about emergency rooms because I noticed, you know, a lot of the ERs, you know, when I drive by an ER, like the one on Johnson Drive here, that is, is, is the, one of the St. Luke systems, those parking lots are pretty empty. That's not normally the case. And, it is, you know, I know a lot of people are doing virtual and we're going to talk about that in the next segment, virtual doctor business. But if you need to go to the ER, um, you should, again, let's talk a little bit about why you should not put that off if you have a serious issue, like maybe you think you're having a heart attack. Or well, you're absolutely right. You don't, you don't want to put that off. The longer you delay diagnosis, the longer treatment is delayed. And, of course, that prolongs time to complete recuperation and increases the odds for a, for a bad outcome. So it's important to seek care. We, of course, uh, have noticed exactly what you have, and that is that ER traffic has diminished over the past two months. And uh, we can only ascribe that to some fear on the part of patients to coming into a healthcare system. But, uh, you know, as we've described, I really truly believe this. Uh, I think hospitals are safer now than they probably have ever been from the standpoint of uh, nosocomial or hospital-acquired infection. And of course, we're going to keep all of these things in place, uh, most of these things in place over the long term, and uh, that'll be a, a positive byproduct of all of this. You know, another positive byproduct is if they keep doing it was, I don't think I've ever been on an airplane, a Southwest Airlines airplane that was as clean as the one I flew to Dallas on. And here's another thing you'll find interesting. After we were on the plane, they had a, 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 a ground crew personnel come on and sanitize again after we were already on the plane. So I've never seen such clean airplanes as I saw on this last trip I had. I think it's safer to fly now than it's ever been. I'd agree with that, particularly if you wear a mask on the flight. I would have no reluctance to do it. And I did wear a mask on the flight, even though Southwest does tell you when you check in and all the rest, of it, they request that you wear it. And they even offer to hand them out if you want them, but they don't make you. But probably 80% of the people had them on. Um, but again, I think it's interesting because back to your point, hospitals are you know, have always been, you know, very, very uh, cognizant of the need to be clean and, and, and those kinds of issues. But, you know, not just hospitals, airlines, you know, most of these of, of places where the public is traveling are making a real effort to make it cleaner than it's ever been. <laughs> and you're I kind of hope some of that stuff's going to stick. You know what I mean? I, I really think it will. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the coronavirus is going to be with us for some time, uh, certainly months, if not longer. And uh, I think you're right. I think the hospitals, the airlines, really all kind of public places, mass transit, uh, are going to have to continue to, to step it up and prove to the public uh, that they're safe. So we come back to the break, folks. We're going to talk about what I think is a paradigm shift in the way people are seeking medical care, and that's the virtual doctor you're listening to, America's Healthcare Advocate. We'll be right back after the break with more.
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. My producer, so the always perfect Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Terry Hall. We're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Michael Main in this, in this segment um, and talk about all things COVID-19. Additionally, folks, I've been getting a lot of requests on the Wabi Brain Scan, the FDA-approved device. Of the Wabi Brain Scan that, that, that we are uh, working with. If you want information on that, if you're a provider, uh, any kind of healthcare provider, and you're interested in this brain scan and how it works, the EEG and all the rest of it, um, the, the website, brainhealthscan.com, brainhealthscan.com. There are videos up there with doctors. Uh, there are all kinds of information on how this works, um, you know, the cost of it, you know, how, how it works uh, with CPT billing codes, all the rest of it. So if you want information on it, once again, the website, brainhealthscan.com. If you're any kind of a medical provider um, and you're interested in it, please go up to the website. Uh, my partner, Steve Sanborn, will be happy to help you if you reach out to him. All right. So let's let's shift gears here. This is kind of interesting. As I mentioned off air, doctor, I, I've been a health insurance broker and uh, before my agency merged with RPSBBDI, I've been doing it for 26 years and um, doing virtual doctor visits and, and telemedicine was always something we pushed uh, to get people to seek care quickly. Um, and, you know, literally you had to beat people over the head to get them to even think about it. And the only place we ever saw any real level of acceptance was in rural communities where they literally did not have access to an urgent care or ER. But boy, has that changed. Well, it has changed just dramatically. Just kind of by way of reference, you know, prior to COVID-19, we were doing less than 1% of our visits uh, virtually. By, by mid-April, we were conducting about 95% of our ambulatory visits uh, in virtual mode. That, that translates to about 2,000 virtual visits uh, per week for our group. We have 65 cardiologists and about 45 advanced practice uh, providers. And really what it's been, it's one of our key tactics uh, to protect some of the most vulnerable patients from coronavirus transmission. We all know that uh, advanced age and underlying comorbidities like hypertension and diabetes and heart failure and coronary disease predispose to worse outcomes with COVID-19. And that's really the, 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 the impetus behind shifting, at least over the intermediate term, towards majority uh, virtual visits. Yeah, you know, I had no idea your number had jumped by that much, but that is cut. If that's not indicative of, of what I call a paradigm shift in the way people are going to be seeking medical care, I don't know what is. Um, from one percent to ninety-five, I mean, that I I wasn't. I was. I'm surprised. Because I thought it was going to be like fifty or sixty percent, but from one percent to ninety-five percent, I think that I think that definitely represents a shift in thinking on the part of the public. And you know, it's kind of funny. I think once people have done it, because my wife has had a couple of, um, of visits that way, uh, virtual visits uh, with her doctors at St. Luke's, and I was on those visits with her, and it was uh, it worked out beautifully. We spent about 45 minutes on, on one particular visit with one of the doctors she was working with, and um, it was we came away from that and went, wow, that went really well. So I, I think people are kind of embracing it now and saying, you know what, this really can work, and you don't have to go sit in the ER or sit in an urgent care or, or even go to a doctor's office and spend, you know, 30, 45 minutes in a waiting room uh, waiting to see the doctor because, you know, there are a lot of folks there. So it, 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 I think it really is getting people to understand that you can get good care by doing it this way. Would you agree with that? 
I, I totally agree. And, you know, when you look at it, it's really the perfect tool in many ways to evaluate and manage chronic stable medical conditions. So a patient, for instance, who has coronary artery disease but is currently asymptomatic or on a good medical regimen and they need to check in visit uh, for medication renewal perhaps and just to make sure that no uh, further testing is required. Telemedicine or telehealth is perfectly set up for that. For a patient with new symptoms or worsening symptoms, oftentimes they need to be seen uh, in person and that's how we're handling it right now. As of uh, this uh, past Monday, our Missouri clinics in the St. Louis Health System really reopened uh, to in-person visits. So we're seeing a mix now. We're seeing some patients uh, in person, and we're continuing to see some virtually. And where we end up in terms of that ratio, uh, I don't think anybody knows yet. I would not be surprised to see six months from now that we're doing 50% virtual, 50% in person across the health system. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for no other reason than it's so convenient. I mean, if, if a mother's got a child that's got conjunctivitis, okay, rather than go sit in the urgent care and wait to see somebody in urgent care, or, or worse yet, go to the ER, spend an hour waiting or two hours, wherever the case may be, you can do that virtual visit and the doctor prescribes the medication and it's in your pharmacy and you go pick it up and you're done. I mean, how much easier could it be? Uh, you're right. It couldn't be much easier than that. And, and patients love the, uh, Convenience, you know, another thing that's driving this, or which has enabled us to 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 do this, is the fact that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services relax telehealth restrictions, and in fact, reimbursement in the Medicare population is now the same for a virtual visit as it is for a uh, for a telehealth visit. So that's been yeah, that that, uh, that made it that made a huge difference. That made a huge difference. You're absolutely correct. All right, so let's switch gears. Now, here's some, you know, I, I think it's important people know that there's good news out there, and there's quite a bit of it, actually, when it comes to the vaccine and antibody situation or where we are now. So Moderna put out uh, information this week, and it caused the market to jump 900 points, uh, that their potential vaccine messages RNA or mRNA and transfers those instructions to the stored DNA, that that, 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 medication that's proving to be effective in the trials they've done, and the trials have gone much faster. Can you talk a little bit about that one? And then there, I know there are a couple others. There's also one that you're actually doing trials on in St. Luke's. Yeah, the vaccine trial, Moderna, a Massachusetts-based company, a small company that reported on some initial results. It's a phase one study. They've got a candidate vaccine, as you mentioned, that works against uh, SARS-CoV-2. They it's named mRNA-1273. That's the designation right now in the clinical trials. And so it's very early, but they administered this to uh, eight participants. And what they reported on Monday of this week is that both at kind of a low dose and a somewhat higher dose, uh, each of the participants uh, produced neutralizing antibodies that were at least the same or somewhat higher than those you would see in convalescent serum. In other words, the blood or serum of patients who have spontaneously uh, recovered from COVID-19. So that's a that's a, a, a very interesting and very encouraging first step in terms of uh, vaccine development. They report that they're going to start a phase three study uh, now starting uh, in, in July of this year. There's some uh, thought that perhaps the vaccine could be available late this year or early next year. Uh, it's important to know there's about 100 vaccine trials going on around the world. And of course, a lot of these will be unsuccessful. We only need one or two that are successful, though, to, to get us over the finish line. So that's great news. 
So chat a little bit about the one that St. Luke's is doing, because I think that's kind of interesting. Here we are in, in the middle of the country in the heartland, and there's a trial going on at St. Luke's Health System. Well, that's exactly right. My my uh, friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Mikhail Kosopora in St. Luke's, uh, had launched an international uh, randomized controlled trial of the drug Capaglifloz, uh, and it's called or known as Farsiga. That's the brand name. And this drug is being evaluated versus placebo in patients hospitalized with COVID-19 who are at risk of uh, multi-organ system failure. Now, the uh, Paglifloxin Farsiga is, is not uh, an antiviral drug. It's not a vaccine. But the impetus behind this trial is based on the observation that we've got really strong data that the Paglifloxin has protective properties for the heart and kidney in a variety of disease states, including patients with type 2 diabetes, heart failure, and chronic kidney disease. So the idea here, here is that the paglifloz, and it's, it's a part of a, a class called the SGLT2 inhibitors, that it may help protect those organs. And, of course, we know that most patients who die of COVID-19, certainly the lungs are involved, but the kidneys are and the heart is as well. So we're very encouraged uh, that this trial is underway. Dr. Chris Aborod and his colleagues here at St. Luke's enrolled the first patient at our hospital, but this is an international trial going on around uh, around the world. You know, and that, that's remarkable, and, and those folks are, are clearly at higher risk. These are type 1 diabetics, so they have those other issues you talked about. So having, uh, you know, I, I think it's important for people to understand that there's light at the end of the tunnel now, and it's not an oncoming train. Um, and, and we're seeing, you know, a, a lot of progress. And as you said, optimistically, hopefully, uh, by the end of the year, uh, the first part of next year, we'll actually have a vaccine or an antibody or both in place that are going to make this, uh, it will really help uh, put this thing down and, and, and get us back on track again. Uh, but it sounds to me like it looks like it's uh, moving certainly that way at this time. When we come back from the break, folks, we're going to wrap it up in our last segment with the, with the Dr. Main. So stay tuned. We've got a lot more coming. By the way, if you do want information once again on the Wabi Brain Scan, uh, please go to that website, BrainHealthScan.com. BrainHealthScan.com. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HIU Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. The doctor's still in the house. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Yes, we are broadcasting from my office today, um, but we are still not back in studio. Hopefully, that will change shortly. Joining me today, uh, Dr. Michael Main from St. Louis Health System here in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and uh, Dr. Main's giving us a lot of information and talking a lot about some of the things that are going on as a result of COVID-19. And we talked to that last segment about some of the uh, trials that are going on. As I said, there's a light at the end of the tunnel now. I think a lot of people see that. Um, and we're going to continue that conversation with this, with the discussion of rindesivir. Is that correct pronunciation of that, doctor? The, uh, the, the medication rindesivir? That's, that's correct, rindesivir. That's right. 
Yeah, that's okay. a medication that was developed by Gilead, uh, and it was originally developed actually to treat Ebola. Uh, we probably remember, everybody remembers that from a few years ago. Uh, it was not effective versus Ebola, uh, but uh, you can try it again uh, versus uh, COVID-19. And actually, we recently learned of the results of a trial that the National Institutes of Health uh, performed. That was a, a randomized trial. So they treated patients who were hospitalized with COVID-19 and were actually fairly sick. And what they did, they gave the drug remdesivir. It's an IV preparation administered over five to ten days. And what they found were that, was that the, the patients who were given the remdesivir actually recovered 31% faster uh, than patients who received a placebo. The mean time to recovery in the remdesivir group was uh, 11 days versus 15 days in the placebo group. And there's actually a trend uh, as well towards the survival benefit, there was an 8% mortality in the remdesivir group, 11.6% in the placebo arm. So, so very encouraging results there. And actually, based on those results, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued an emergency use, use authorization uh, on May 1st. So it's now available in the United States uh, for treatment of suspected or uh, laboratory-confirmed COVID-19, both in adults and children. Uh, people hospitalized with uh, severe disease. So some great news there, really our first therapeutic with really good data. You know, it's interesting as I listened to you talk and we talked about, you know, some of the other medications and the type of chloroquine, which I know is controversial to some degree, but it, it, it is kind of surprising to me to hear how many of these medications are being repurposed or re-looked at um, that were used in Ebola or SARS or some of the other uh, COVID uh, type uh, uh, of, of diseases are out. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's exactly right. We, we find that commonly with uh, pharmaceuticals in the United States. Often the initial uh, intended use of an agent is not what it is actually used for uh, in the long term. Uh, with respect to the hydroxychloroquine, obviously a lot of uh, controversy around that. We saw a meta-analysis uh, that's been uh, published uh, just within the past several days, combining data from multiple studies. The data is not looking, looking that great for hydroxychloroquine, but I can tell you that there are a lot of physicians, including some that I know personally and have great respect for, who uh, have had great anecdotal results uh, with that particular medication. Yeah, and in fact, I was told a story by a nurse here locally that w was uh, ministering to a, uh, a COVID-19 patient. They thought they were going to lose her at one point, and they gave her hydrochloride uh, medication, and within two hours, she started to turn the corner and go back the other way. So, yeah, there does seem to be a lot of anecdotal uh, information. You know, we're coming up on the end of the show here. We've got about another three or four minutes left. I just want to kind of go back and tell people that I'd like you to kind of reiterate to people what they need to continue to do. You cannot just all of a sudden, um, you know, the thing is over because some restaurants are open, some bars are open. You can go into a gym now. We're starting to see, you know, the, the stay at home go away uh, overall. But, you know, Talk a little bit about what people need to continue to do, doctor, just common sense. Well, you know, really at this point, uh, despite everything we've talked about, the only real tool we have against 
COVID-19, the only real tools we have are the, are the public health initiatives, the public health measures, uh, including the social distancing. And that's going to be uh, increasingly important, actually, that people pay attention to that. We don't want people to get the wrong message that COVID-19 has been defeated and go back to normal. That's far from the case. The virus still exists. It's still out there. We've done nothing to decrease it. All we did really in this first phase was flatten the curve. We ensured that the hospital systems weren't overwhelmed with large number of patients that would basically you know, overwhelm the ICUs and outstrip our current uh, supply of ventilators. So we've gotten through that first wave. The virus is still there. Social distancing is still important. And I would just tell people to exercise caution when they're out in public. As we mentioned before, wear the mask. Meticulous attention to hand hygiene. That's one of the most important things we can do. And then limit gatherings. Uh, it's not, uh, you shouldn't get the message that it's okay to have big parties at your house and barbecues, things like that. Let's keep an eye on things over the next few weeks. And of course, some of these, some of these measures can be flexed up or down depending on local disease prevalence. And that's something, of course, that we'll uh, continue to keep a close eye on. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting you say that because if you don't want to see us go back to lockdown, people, you know, use your head is what you're hearing here, okay? I'm going to put a little more bluntly. Wash your hands, pay attention, do the things that you know you should do, and we'll we'll start, you know, we're starting to pull through this thing. But if this blows back up, you're going to see we're going to go right back to where we were, and the economy has suffered greatly for this. Small businesses have suffered enormously for this. A lot of people have lost their businesses, closed, and you know, I saw a piece today that people making $50,000 a year or less were 39% of the people uh, unemployed now that have lost their jobs. So we're on the way back. We all need to pay attention and do the things and do the right things so we stay on that path. Thank you very much, Doctor, for coming on. Dr. Michael Mames, St. Louis Health System, joined us today. Thank you for being on the show today, Doctor. Thank you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this thought from Albert Einstein. The one who follows the crowd will usually get no further than the crowd. The one who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever been. Remember, friends, it's a funny thing about life. If you refuse to accept anything but the very best, you most often get it. Thank you for listening to American Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA radio network. Goodbye, America. Every day.